listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. In 1997, I was 23 years old, and I, I got a hold of a VHS cassette from the Brownsville Revival, and they were playing music that I had never heard before, and they were playing this one song, and I said to myself, I have to know what that song is. And I wrote an actual letter and put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and sent it to the Brownsville Revival to find out who the song was. And they actually wrote me back in an actual letter. I think there was email in 1997, but I wasn't on it. And I don't think any of them were, too, because they were sending VHS cassette tapes all over the world. Well, it was this song, and it was by Leonard Jones. And, and I, I, I tracked down a morning. I had a friend that had a Morningstar catalog, and I went in there and cut out the coupon and sent my check in and got the CD back in the mail. And I was obsessed with that CD. I had never heard anything like it before in the church. And I, I, um, I, I moved to North Carolina because of that CD. I mean, I'm standing on this stage because of that man right over there. And so, you know, when I was a kid, there were a few things that I didn't like. I didn't like avocados, I didn't like mushrooms, and I didn't like Brussels sprouts. And sometimes my dad would make steak, and I would ask him if I could have ketchup on it. And, and you know, that's, that's heresy, you know? Like, if, if your steak is decent, you should never put ketchup on it. But, but I was a kid. My, my taste buds hadn't formed yet. My, my, I was a, a victim of my own narrow palate. Okay? And as I grew up, my palate began to expand and I could appreciate some of the other things that God wanted to give me, like steak and mushrooms and avocados. I mean, you know, and the cool thing about that is, is all my kids eat avocados at the time when I hated them, you know? So like you can gain in the Lord and you can pass it on to your kids and they can get it at a much earlier age. I heard this lady one time talking about appreciating different flavors of the glory of God. You know, you can constrict yourself with your preferences. Did you know this? Like you can step into a place where God is doing something and you can miss that thing because you don't like the flavor that's being served. Did you know this? One time, uh, a friend of mine, we were, it was just two of us and we were traveling through India and a couple of these guys that we met invited us to their church. Well, we just thought they're Christians. They're inviting us to their church. We should go with them. And we, we forgot to mention it to our hosts that we were going to go do this thing. So we ended up in the middle of this Muslim village. And there was a, a Christian house church right in the middle of this, this Muslim village. And and it's like a hundred degrees in India and a hundred percent humidity. And we walked into this little room. It was about 200 square feet. And then they shut all the doors and they shut all the windows. And there was 200 men and women and children all sitting on the floor in this little room. And a man gets up and he says, 
all right, now's the time when we worship. And I didn't see a guitar player. I didn't see a piano player. There was no drummer. There wasn't a shofar to be heard or seen anywhere. And the most amazing thing happened. All 200 of these people started singing at the tops of their lungs for 30 minutes straight. I had never witnessed anything like that before in my life. And I could have said to myself, this is weird. I don't like this. This doesn't make any sense. I've never tasted this before. I don't like this. But I heard the spirit of the Lord say to me, you want a different taste of a different glory? Enter into this right now. Don't miss this moment. And I, and I stepped into a thing that I had never seen before, never heard before. And I was met by the Lord and his Holy Spirit in the most profound way. So I just want to encourage you in your life as you're going about your life. Sometimes the Lord will come to you in a way that you don't expect. Thank God for that. I, I really do. I am so thankful for the things that are kind of normal and everyday things in our lives. But man, I, I do like a good dose of something new every now and again. How about you? Are you with me on that? Praise the Lord. Well, I've got this like 60 minute message prepared this morning, but I think I'm going to give you the cliff notes version of it. And um, I think I saw Ethan and Margaret are in here. This married couple over here sitting on the fourth row. Good to see you guys. Man. Oh, praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. God, help us today. Help us receive your word. Help us receive the glory that comes from your word. Help us receive the strength. Help us receive the peace that comes from giving ourselves to your word this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So one of our deeply held values at Queen City Church is that we believe that the spirit is always at work. Sometimes that work is more apparent than other times. But even when the work of the spirit isn't necessarily apparent, we are always actively trusting that he is working. Amen. And, and the reason why that's important is because uh, if your expectation is that you can always visibly see what the Spirit is, is doing, you'll miss so much of what the Spirit is doing. So we are on this active journey of continually trusting, Lord, you are working in our lives individually, and you are working on us corporately. And so sometimes in order to move forward in what the Lord is doing, it can feel like we're going backwards a little bit, all right? So let me give you an example of this. When I was a kid, I went to Sunday school every week, and the Sunday school teacher would say to me, Andy, here's the thing that you should do with your life. Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow. Anybody remember that little nursery rhyme song? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 and you'll grow, grow, grow. Anybody know that song? You should sing it to yourself. It's really good. And that seemed like low-level revelation. And somewhere along in my life, 
I, I put that idea of reading my Bible and praying every day kind of on this back seat type of thing where it was like, mm, I'm so spiritual now, I don't really have to do that anymore. I've got so much fresh bread revelation from the Spirit of God that getting myself into the scripture and under the force of its weight isn't something I'm really doing on a regular basis in my life. But one thing that I've heard coming off of this pulpit in the last few weeks, we heard it first from Donna and then from Robin, but there's this work of the spirit that is drawing us back into his word. And guys, there's not a lot of fireworks associated with that. You can't really hold a conference and charge people 150 bucks and then get up on the stage and say, guys, here's the thing. Read your Bible every day. No one is signing up for that. But I, I have this sense that, that the Spirit of the Lord is wanting to woo his bride back into the knowledge of Scripture. Donna talked about esteeming the scripture to the point that it encourages faith to grow in our heart. And then Robin talked about reading our Bibles many times during the week. And these, these things, they seem obvious, but they're not. So I, for one, have been challenged to take control of my own life and get rid of bad habits and create new good habits. This is what God is doing in us as a church He's inviting us into a life of drawing near to him. If you ever wonder what the Lord is doing, he's always inviting you and I to be near him. And there's a promise associated with that, isn't there? Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. So I want to encourage you to keep submitting yourself to the word of God. Let it speak to you. Read it alone Read it with your friends and family. Read the parts that you don't understand. Read the parts that you do understand. Read it until you get something out of it. Read it until it gets something out of you. You may find that you have problems with the text. That's okay. The text probably has problems with you. Nevertheless, God wants us to know his story because it's that story that we're being invited into. You are in the middle of God's story. He's not in the middle of yours. When you bring yourself into submission of the word of God, it is a continual reminder to yourself that you and all the people in here are part of a bigger story and it is God's story. So, today, we're going to begin in the book of 1 John. And this is different than the Gospel of John, but scholars agree that it's written by the same John. And 1 John was written to the various churches in the city of Ephesus, okay? And this was likely, this letter in 1 John, this epistle was a letter not written one time to a singular church, but it was a circular. It was a, it was a letter that was passed around to all of the different churches in Ephesus. John was living there at the time. 
He was among these people, but there were some things that they needed to know. There were some things that they need to be encouraged in because as you and I both know, we are the church in the modern world and you and I need to be encouraged and reminded that we're Christians following Jesus, right? So John, first John is, it's a proclamation, And it emphasizes three things. And I'm going to say these things, but they're going to seem obvious to you. But they weren't necessarily obvious to these people at this time. First John proclaims this, that Jesus is God. That our our obedience to him proves that we are his disciples. And that we are characterized by love. All right. So I want to I want to start with a translation of first John. I think we have that that text. This this translation comes from a scholar by the name of N.T. Wright. Anybody know N.T. Wright in here? Read much of him? Okay. So this is his translation of 1 John 1 through 4. And it goes like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have gazed at, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was displayed, and we have seen it. We bear witness, and we announce to you the life of God's coming age, which we have seen and heard. We announce to you, too, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus the Messiah. We are writing you these things that are joy may be complete, all right? So to me, when I think about preaching the gospel, when I think about what the heartbeat of preaching should be, should always be to some degree or another, it should be at its very core, simply proclaiming Christ. Paul said this, I don't boast in anything else but the man Christ Jesus. That was, I mean, he was a learned man, but the baseline revelation that Paul had was Christ, all right? And to me, that's what this is right here, this exchange. We are sitting in the anointing of Jesus the Christ being proclaimed. We can't hear it enough. We can't do it enough. We can't sit under that preaching enough. If you feel like you've heard that message too many times, that's proof that you haven't been stirred up enough by it. There's always more to the riches of Jesus. So at the time of this writing, John is reasserting something. He is reasserting the physical and historical being of the man, Jesus Christ. At the time of this writing, the early church was being tempted with the heresy of Gnosticism. All right. So part of the teaching of Gnosticism that was creeping into the church was was this. That though Jesus was God, he was not actually a physical man, but instead he was some kind of spiritual being. He was some kind of ethereal phantom. All right? The church in Ephesus was being, well, they were living in culture, and they were surrounded by people that were telling them something different than what the early Jesus followers had experienced. 
When John and Peter and James were walking with the man Christ Jesus, it wasn't an idea. He wasn't a theory or a philosophy. He wasn't a hologram. He wasn't a phantasm. He was a person. And lest we forget the humanity and divinity incarnated in the man Christ Jesus, and we get off into some Gnostic idea that Jesus is like, Everything is Jesus. Everything is God all around us. We come back to the epistle of 1 John, and here is John proclaiming that we saw him. We heard him. He was in our presence. Not only that, we gazed upon him, and we touched him with our hands. We did not receive this revelation by tradition, by hearsay. We saw the man and this is our testimony. And you need to hear this and you need to come into this fellowship with the father and the son. And you come into it by receiving this announcement. That's what happens when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed as other people come into the fellowship of knowing Christ Jesus. It's mysterious It's supernatural, but it's powerful and it's real. So John is proclaiming this, declaring, I have heard him. I saw him. I studied him. I touched him. John's epistle to the church at Ephesus begins with the ultimate Christian confession. Jesus was from the very beginning He is the Logos, the word of life, and he came to earth as fully God and fully human. John's claim is that Jesus was absolutely divine in that even before the beginning of time, the son was with God and was God. And Jesus came from the father in human form to walk and live among us as us. This is an incredible statement. I mean, the idea that God in all of his power and all of his might would set that aside because he was so in love with his humanity, his human creation. These people that he created out of the dust of the earth, he decided to become like fully God and yet fully human. So the beginning of Genesis 1.1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the gospel of John, we see at the very start, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John takes us back to this time in eternity past to meet this one, which was from the beginning which makes John's claim in John 1, 1 John, all the more wonderful. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. This eternal one came to earth, and John personally experienced him. John is expressly communicating to his readers that all that he is saying He didn't receive from somebody else he experienced. According to John, Jesus was audibly heard. He was physically seen. He was intently studied and he was tangibly touched. And the implications of this are so wonderful. 
This is how we know that the eternal one can be known because he's revealed himself to us. Jesus is a person, physical, historical, actual. He made himself known and he still wants us to know him. So we don't relegate Jesus to being a political theory or a philosophical idea. And John says this to us. He said, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, we announce to you. Why? Why do we announce this? So that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So this, this is an incredible reality. We are brought into this union, this fellowship with God the Father and God the Son by simply doing this, by receiving and reveling in the announcement that John is making here. And this is what we are staking everything upon. We are receiving John's epistle. We are reveling in the announcement that Jesus is the word of God made flesh And this is our confession, that Jesus is what God has to say to us. Sometimes, when I'm reading the Bible, I get confused. Sometimes, when I'm walking through my life, I get confused. Sometimes, I am, uh, I don't know if attacked is the right word, but I encounter thoughts, and ideas that seem to go against what First John is claiming here. And sometimes, well, a lot of times, I'm not smart enough to combat those different ideas. And, I, and I've figured this out. There is an enemy. There is somebody who wants to take me out. There is somebody who wants you and I to not believe anything that Jesus claimed and anything that these scriptures claim, right? And sometimes when I encounter those ideas, I get lost. I get unsure. And I do this thing now. I've gotten old enough to where I've kind of dumbed everything down for myself. (laughs) But sometimes when I'm encountering some kind of confusion... I just change my confession, and this is what I say. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Jesus, you are the Word made flesh. Jesus, you are the Logos. Jesus, you are before the beginning. Jesus, you are the Christ. And there's something about your confession, your proclamation that brings you into that reality. It's a strange work that the Lord has given the church. The Lord has simply asked the church to confess the truth. It seems so inept. It seems like it's not a a worthwhile weapon against the wiles of the enemy. It seems like it's not much against all of the incredible media coverage and power that exists in the world. But man, inside that confession is everything. I mean, John is saying to this church in Ephesus, we're announcing this to you so that you can have fellowship in this reality. Well, sometimes I forget that reality when I'm walking through this life and I got to announce it to myself. 
I've got to say, Jesus, you are the Christ. It seems so dumb to say that out loud. But if you make that a practice in your life, I promise you, you will begin to feel a surge of the Spirit's power in your heart, in your soul, in your mind. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. When the things of God come before you and they seem so dumb that you count, you discount them before you even participate in them. This is what I'm kind of talking about. The Lord has given the church this confession and we kind of just don't think it's that important. And it's the very key to our salvation. It's the very key to us getting free. So going on in first John verse five. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. It's really interesting how these verses back up against all of this, these verses about Jesus and his humanity and his divinity and his beginnings and the proclamation of him, him being a historical, actual person in history. And then all of a sudden he shifts gears and he's talking about confessing our sins to one another, not walking in darkness, but walking in the light. Actually, these verses make me very uncomfortable. It's wonderful if according to the first paragraph of this chapter that I have fellowship with God himself, but what if I have already ruined my life with carelessness, stupidity, and sinfulness, right? Like sometimes the good news doesn't always sound that good, right? So here's John. He's like, hey, great news, everybody. We have fellowship with, with Jesus. We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with the eternal one. Oh, by the way, if you're a sinner and you're walking in darkness, you're not of him. So if you're like me, this, this passage makes you have a negative reaction. Over and over in the scripture, though, we see people experiencing the Lord and they initially have a negative reaction. So I'm thinking of like Moses in the burning bush. He's trembling with fear. The angel of the Lord shows up to Isaiah and and Isaiah's trying his darndest to get away from God. And when Peter realizes that Jesus is who he claims to be, he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Generally, when the goodness of God shows up, it should kind of make us tremble a little. We should probably begin to try to negotiate some kind of escape out of the presence of the Lord. But that is kind of how this works. God is light and in him there is no darkness. The darkness 
which encroaches upon our messy, rebellious, unbelieving lives, cannot survive in his light. We don't have to get our act together before we turn to God. We don't have to become a moral person before God can do anything. But we consciously turn to the light. This is, this is our work. This is our, the, our acts as the Christian church. We face up to what has gone wrong in the past and we don't try to hide it. And then we determine to live in God's light always. And two things happen when we do this. We find ourselves sharing in that fellowship with God that John talked about and with each other. And we find that Jesus' blood somehow makes us clean on the inside. And we make a habit of living in the light of God and we walk in it. We can't live in the present if we deny the past. So, although these verses can seem a bit confrontive, they should, they should seem that way. If you're, if you're like me, you, you kind of like bypass the harder passages. I'm always for the feel-good ones, but the ones that are challenging my actual life, I bypass those. But John's setting us up here. He's setting us up for failure on purpose. Because this is what it means to read the scripture and to submit yourself to it. Sometimes you read a scripture like this and it says something to you like, if there's sin in your life, you should disclose it. You should confess it. And here's what's going to happen to you when you do that. Well, when I read that scripture about confessing my sin, disclosing the darkness that I have working in my life, all kinds of crazy things start happening. I start getting tricked by feelings of shame. I start being held hostage that if somebody finds out about this thing going on in my life, my life's going to be over. If some, if somebody hears what's actually going on in my heart, it may be more trouble than it's worth. If the church that I go to finds out what I'm actually thinking in my mind, they might kick me out of the church. Right? All kinds of those crazy scenarios start running rampant through our brain. But this, this epistle is saying the exact opposite. When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's so simple and so life-giving, but... Equally scary, isn't it? Because it's a journey into truth. And I dare say truth is the hardest journey to take ever. Most of us spend our whole lives living under some kind of shadow where we haven't dealt with the reality and the truth about our own lives. That's actually why I fail to read scripture quite often. Because when I read it, it reveals something about me that I don't want to know. I thought it was so interesting, that statistic that Robin read the other day, that if you read the Bible one time a week, it's completely worthless to your life. If you read the Bible two times a week, it's equally as worthless to your life. Three times a week, you get a 1% advantage into your sorry, hairy carcass of a life. 
But dang it, if you read it four times, if you put something into practice in your life where you are coming under the heavy weight of Scripture, it will begin to transform you to the degree that things will actually start happening for the better in your life. But they might feel a little bit worse at first. It's almost like you have to commit yourself to the mess up front so you can go get to that other part later on. This is why I'm pretty much committed to the awkward moment in my life. I've committed myself to not running away from the awkward, the messy, the dirty, the profane, because it's generally in those places where reality and truth begin. And we spend so much of our time denying the things, denying the shadows, denying the untruths, denying the lies, denying the bad habits, denying the lack of self-control, denying the shame, denying the anxiety, denying the fear that, that really wrecks us. And John is saying, God is the light and there is no darkness in him. And if we are to be the people of God, if we're going to walk in fellowship with him and with each other, we first have to shine the light of, of on our own lives. The great thing about that scripture is I don't get to tell you how to do anything to get your life better. This is all about me. This is all about me and Jesus. This is about, I can't control you, but I can control myself. I can't confess your sins, but I can confess my own. So hopefully you're not hearing me thinking about all the things that your spouse needs to get better. So it's really hard to be honest about your own shortcomings, isn't it? It's difficult to be honest about your own sin. It's scary, but it's never God's intention to shame us. It's never his intention for us to be under a burden of shame. We are not called to shame people into getting right with God. But each one of us is being invited into a shame-free life. And God has made, us a, has made a way for us to be really free. And John shows us in verse 9 the reality of confessing. Confessing your sins one to another. But... The problem is confession is very humbling. To disclose your life to someone is really to practice walking in the light. John is, this is a, this is a call to us to walk in the light. But to walk in the light is a very humble path, y'all. To walk in the light is a very humble path. You will have to humble yourself. You have to walk humbly with your brothers and sisters. You don't get to walk in the light and be filled with vainglory and pride and your own self-righteousness and your own self-judgment and walking around getting to show everybody the darkness that's in their own life. This is a call for us to individually walk in a humility that has the power to transform our actual lives. I think for me, staying in humility is the very hardest thing of all. First of all, you get tired of always confessing your sin. It sometimes seems like it doesn't do any good anyways. Have you ever asked yourself, how many times am I going to have to confess my sin before God gets tired of it? Anybody with me on that? I don't really know if there's an answer to that, but I do know what John says. 
that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. That's the key. It's so simple. And I think that right now, in the season that we are in, humility is one of the safest places for us to be. You can never go wrong practicing the reality of humility. If you, if you feel tempted to practice greatness, practice humility instead. If you feel tempted to practice anger, practice humility instead. If you feel tempted to lash out, practice silence instead. We can stay safeguarded and keep our hearts tender before the Lord and before our neighbors if we admit to ourselves our own shortcomings rather than being experts on everyone else's shortcomings. We can't control others to walk in God's light, but we can practice self-control and be honest about our own lives before God. No more notes, y'all. Y'all okay? All right. Let's pray. God, this is our confession today that you are working in the church and that you are working in us. And sometimes that work is slow. Sometimes that work is fast. But in every speed, our confession is that we trust you, Jesus. And Lord, today and in this next week, we ask you to lead us into your light. And we ask you to help us to disclose any any shadow, any darkness that we're currently walking in so that we can be free, Jesus. And Lord, also what we want to do is we want to we confess that we are a people of your word and we want to give ourselves to it again. We want to give ourselves to a prayer life. We want to give ourselves to knowing you again. Lord, we want to be a people that are drawing near to you. And Lord, we want to hold you to your word that in that you would draw near to us. In Jesus' name we pray this. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.